Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and uh, I, I really encourage you to tune in every week because we are building uh, in this program, we build series week after week after week after week, and we've been doing a series that I'm calling The Roadmap to Reformation. And we have filmed, I, I've lost count of how many we've filmed. We probably filmed most of the end of last year, at least half of the end of last year, in this powerful series that I believe gives us some real instruction for how to move from an old covenant to a new covenant. We are talking about the roadmap to Reformation. And I believe we'll go down in history as reformers. What we do is we've been taking the books of Ezra and Nehemiah Haggai, Zechariah, which are the books of restoration, and we are using them as a pattern because they were pointing to a greater fulfillment in the new covenant than just a physical city being rebuilt. And I connected the dots in so many uh, programs prior to this, and I'm not going to take a long time to do it, but I can tell you especially Zechariah and the books of Daniel and even Haggai, Zechariah pointed towards while they were, you know, while especially Zechariah and Daniel, for instance, was a, uh, he was in the kingdom of Babylon during this time of Babylonian captivity. God always has somebody in political power, even when there is opposition in control. So he had men like Daniel, and Daniel prophesied, and some of the things he prophesied connected what was happening to them in Babylonian captivity to uh, the greater fulfillment that would take place during the time of Jesus. And especially Zechariah really connects the dots when he begins to talk about, behold, your king comes to you, riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's talk, that was fulfilled when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. It talks about the mountain being removed uh, by shouting grace, grace to it. And I connected that with how uh, Moses gave you the law but of his fullness have all we received in grace. For grace, Jesus brought us the new covenant and the mountain, which was the law, was removed by shouting grace, grace. Don't have time to go back and unpack that again. It's in prior segments. We also showed you how that in that same chapter, he talks about golden oil, dumped by golden pipes, that is not by might or by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We showed you how uh, there were all kinds of Things where he said, uh, they they, they uh, asked me, what will you give me to buy me out of the covenant? They weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. All of those prophecies were given by Zechariah during the period when they were in captivity. Zechariah was a contemporary with them, and he was a priest and a prophet, and he prophesied concerning this reformation. But it was pointing towards a greater reformation, which we are a part of of the ongoing reformation that began with the time that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey, just like Nehemiah rode into the city on a donkey and surveyed the condition of the city during the time of Babylonian captivity. And I think that's incredible that the, he almost mimics and parallels the same thing. He comes riding upon an ass, the colt, the foal of an ass, but this time... He is the greater Nehemiah, and I showed you in prior segments how Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra's name means my helper, and Nehemiah's name means the comforter. It's a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about reformation 
and restoration. And so we've connected and showed you how each one of these gates are speaking of some entrance into the city of God, which is not a place, but it is a people. It's the new covenant community of God. It is the bride, the lamb's wife. It is entering into relationship with him where there is a river that flows, a water of life freely that will wipe all tears from off of all faces. Last week we talked about again, that was the second segment we did on the sheep gate because we went back to John chapter 5 and we showed you that there was a pool called Bethesda and that in John chapter 5, uh, there is a pool of Bethesda that was, and I'm, I'm going to go back there and read that for you, uh, John 5, and then we're going to connect some thoughts and make it a little bit deeper than we did last week. We made it individual last week, but I want to make this a little bit more deep today. Uh, this is John chapter 5, said, after this there was a feast of the Jews. Now this feast was the feast of Passover, according to Adam Clark and other scholars. So it's, it's significant that this is at the feast of Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep gate. Now remember Nehemiah chapter 3, the very next gate he comes to was the sheep gate. You go back and read that in Nehemiah chapter 3. There was a sheep gate, and but here we find when Jesus enters into this city, he comes again, there went back to Jerusalem. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. The word Bethesda means house of mercy and house of grace. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. I think King James, uh, this is New King James, but the regular King James calls it the halt. The blind and the lame, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred, the, stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lie, I want you to note this, he's there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said, do you want to be made whole? Not do you just want to get a healing, do you want to be made whole? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me whole, well, said, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn the multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him well. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus says to him, again, I'm going to just say this before I forget to, Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, let me just tell you, first of all, that it's not God who's going to bring the worst thing upon him. It is a lot of times the stuff that comes upon us is not a result of God doing it to us. It is a result of 
reaping the repercussions of our own actions. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't do. And so I want us to see that he's not saying to him, go and sin no more lest God sends his judgment on you. He said, lest a worse thing come upon you. But what I want you to see is, again, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to, uh, you know, accuse Jesus. They are rejecting, once again, their Messiah. They are rejecting this true sheep, this true Lamb of God. And they are saying to him, you did this on the Sabbath day. Now, I have another book that I wrote. Now, let me just pull this up here and show it to you, called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. These, all of my books are powerful books. You need to go get them. They're available on Amazon. They're also available on our website. But this book particularly, the whole theme of this book is I take the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day and show how they powerfully picture what flows from the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is our true Sabbath. Colossians 2 said, Let no man judge you in respect of meat or drink or a new moon or of a Sabbath day, which things are a shadow. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath day, and we rest in his finished work. Now, let me come back and tell you, once again, just by way of review, that legend, not legend, but a lot of the scholars, Adam Clark, I think, is one of them, who talks about this sheep game, this pool of Bethesda, house of mercy and house of grace, was beside of the sheep market. What they would do at the sheep market is they would wash the sheep in the stream upstream. They would also cut the throats of the lambs and the blood of the lamb would flow into the water. When the blood of the lambs would flow into this water, it would trouble the water and people got in this water and got healed. If you don't see a powerful picture in it, let me just tell you something. The blood of Jesus has been shed and the water is continually troubled for you to be able to get into that water and be made whole and enter into the Sabbath rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And who better to need mercy and grace than those who are halt, lame, blind, and uh, uh, are crippled? Let me tell you, that just about qualifies everybody. Not just about, it does. It qualifies everybody on the planet. Now, I want you to see something because I want to take this a little bit further than just your individual sin here in this segment. I want you to see some things that I really discovered while studying this. Uh, let me just skip down here. This, this powerful symbolism, this uh, should have said to Israel, this should have said to even these scribes and Pharisees that were Especially when he uses this word halt, the halt, the lame, and the blind. The word halt is an old English word that means they were not able to move forward. They're stuck in the same old, same old. They were in a place of being stalled. He has now brought them into, this is actually the second sign that Jesus does of his miracle. This is one of his signs. These are signs that should have pointed People, signposts always point you to something. They're pointing you to something. And this is the second sign that Jesus does. The second sign to the fact that there's a true Lamb of God, there's a true sheep gate, and there's truly real blood in the water that would make you whole. 
Now, the, the, the Bible said that this man had been laying at this pool of Bethesda for 38 years. I have wondered, as I read this story many, many times, that there was a great multitude of impotent folks here. Halt, lame, blind, waiting on the troubling of the water. Why does he handpick and choose this man? And then why does the scripture take great pain to point out the detail that they had been here for 38 years. They have been 38 years. But I want you to see that what the reason that there's 38 years, this is a picture. This man at the Pool of Bethesda, as we've already shared with you, can very well picture individuals who need Jesus in their lives, who is the fountain and the well and the door into the sheepfold for us individually. But he was also trying to give some kind of a sign here to natural Israel because natural Israel had wandered in the wilderness. I want you to see this. For 38 years, they were wandering. And what he's trying to show them is that you've wandered in the wilderness again and you're in captivity again. And now the water is troubled again and there's a way back into the sheepfold they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years, but now it was the time that the Lamb was going to open the gate into the kingdom, and the ultimate Passover was now standing in front of them, and God's mercy, wrapped in human flesh, is now standing before them. I want us to see, you to see that, <clears throat> that the, uh, the halt and the lame and the blind were the ones that were at this gate. When Jesus comes on the scene, he begins to preach in Isaiah 35. His first message is he has sent me to open the eyes of the blind, the recovering of sight of the blind. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty the that are bruised and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus came, that was his first public message. He declared that to the house of of Israel. Now again, I believe he's talking about he's able to heal you of physical blindness, physical lameness, but he's also specifically giving these signs, I believe, to the Pharisees and the leaders because you see them being the ones resisting what's happening to this lame man who is healed, in fact, on the Sabbath day. Because even when Jesus preaches Isaiah 35, he said he sent me to declare the year of the favor of our God, which was the year of Jubilee, and the year of Jubilee was a multiple of Sabbath days, 70 times 7. And oh, I don't want to chase this rabbit because I've already done it in prior segments, but Jesus, even Daniel prophesying during the time of Babylonian captivity, said 70 weeks of years are determined upon my people, or 490 years are determined upon my people to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, bring an everlasting righteousness. I think that's in Daniel chapter 7 or Daniel chapter 9. I forget which one exactly. But he uses multiples of 7, 490 years. I said, God, why 490? Why 70 times 7? He said, because a man must forgive until 70 times 7. Now Jesus is the ultimate jubilee. He closes the book having read Isaiah 35. He said, this day, ladies and gentlemen, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears and the day and the year of the favor of God was announced to this people, Israel. Jesus breaks hermeneutical rules because he doesn't finish Isaiah 35. 
He doesn't finish the scripture because the rest of the scripture says, and to declare the day of the vengeance of our God. He doesn't declare the day of vengeance until you find that in Luke's gospel when he's at the Olivet Discourse. He said, these be the days of vengeance, that all things might be fulfilled. But the days of vengeance did not come until 40 years after Israel had 40 years to receive their Messiah from the time that Jesus comes on the scene and announces and gives them opportunity They've come into a period of time to be able to receive that. But when Daniel prophesied 70 times 7, he tells them that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, will be 483 years. The commandment to restore and build Jerusalem goes forth of Ezra chapter 7, honor King Artaxerxes, and Jesus comes on the scene exactly 483 years later and begins the last seven year period of Daniel's 490, 70 times seven. And Jesus begins his ministry at the beginning of that last seven year period and Messiah is cut off just like Daniel says, three and a half years into that. And then the rest of the three and a half years are left after his resurrection when they first went to Judea, Jerusalem. He's given Israel every opportunity to come into the covenants of promise. They rejected him. They refused to realize that this Sabbath day is more than their religious ritual of not doing anything, that this Sabbath rest is the finished work of Jesus Christ who's come to move them out of being halt and stalled and lame and blind and an old covenant and trying to get them to move forward. If you go back and you read Numbers chapter 13, let me give this to you for your reference. Numbers 13, uh, uh, verses number 32 and 33, talk about the evil report that the spies brought. And uh, they brought the evil report. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, talks about, uh, especially Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, talks about they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. In other words, everybody, I know that we talk about they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but see, what happens is, that was 38 years from the time they came to Kadesh Barnea. There was, there was a two-year discrepancy between Numbers and Deuteronomy's version. The reason there's a two-year discrepancy in the 40 years and the 30 years is, is God giving them credit for the time that they had believed him until they came to, uh, uh, it was time giving God giving them credit for time served when they came out of Egypt until they came to Kadesh Barnea. It was two years. And then once they received the evil report and forfeited their trip straight into the promised land, and, and, to, and then until they crossed the Jordan, it was exactly 38 years was the time spent without faith. So they left Egypt based on the Abrahamic covenant that brought them out because of Abraham's faith. They forfeited that for this covenant at Sinai that God did not want to give them that covenant. Galatians chapter 3 and 4 tells you that the law was added because of the transgression. The scripture goes on to tell us that it was added by, because of the transgression, that it was an addendum to the, the law was added as an addendum until the seed should come to whom the promise was now made. The seed was Christ. He's now on the scene. He is the Lamb of God. He is the blood that's troubling the water. They're at the pool of house of mercy and grace, and they're about to reject this Messiah again who can lift them out of their haltness, their blindness, and bring them into their jubilee and into their Sabbath. I hope I'm not talking too fast that you're missing this. 
But this 38 years connects to the reason why this man laid at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. It was a picture of them forfeiting that covenant and wandering about in the wilderness from Kadesh Barnea. They stood, they had two years for time served, and then they spent 38 more years spent in the wilderness without faith. The scripture goes on to tell us in Galatians 3 that when the law was added, it shuts up faith, and, 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 the, and the law is not of faith. I think that's some powerful stuff. As a matter of fact, you don't even see faith kick back in. When you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith Moses kept the Passover. By faith they crossed the Red Sea. But once they crossed the Red Sea, the great hall of faith, Hebrews 11, stops. It mentions nothing that happened for the next 38 years that happened by faith. The next thing that it mentions, it says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. So 38 years transpires. Once the word, once the law came, I said, God, why did nothing mention from the time they crossed the Red Sea until they came to Jericho? He said, because once they crossed the Red Sea at Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given. That's where faith shut down. And it was 38 years. Nothing makes it to the hall of faith. And nothing kicks back in that happened by faith until it says the walls of Jericho fell by faith. The harlot Rahab received were delivered because she hung the scarlet collared cord of redemption in her window so that every bit of light that filtered in came through that scarlet collared cord of redemption. I'm telling you, he's bringing us back to Reformation. Oh, I get excited. He's bringing us back to pointing to what it is that we are coming to, and that's more than just troubled water. We're coming to the true Lamb of God. We're coming to the place where we have... Uh, where it's pointing, listen, you would think all of these miracles that Jesus does would have been some kind of a wake-up call to these Israelites and religious dudes who are sitting here who ought to have known the scriptures that Isaiah prophesied about, even when Jesus preached himself to open the eyes of the blind, recovery of sight of the blind, he came healing the halt, the lame, and the blind. He did all of the things that the scripture prophesied concerning and they seemed to cannot seem to receive their Messiah. And so we have a man here who's been there for 38 years who's a picture of the people of Israel who spent 40, or 38 years in the wilderness without faith. It was 38 years before they started taking the land east of the Jordan and they were there in the halt and the lame and the blind. Isaiah 35 is a text where God is saying to the prophet, a new exodus will take place. When you see the lame and the blind, etc. Let me just, let me just, let me just uh, uh, take you back to Isaiah chapter 35. Let me just see if I can pull that up real quick. Isaiah 35 talks about him. Uh, it, it just has some over. Over, there's just some stuff there that are overtones that I think would be powerful for us to look at and I had not planned on doing that I had it up um, it, it says the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the excellency of Carmel and Sharon they shall see the glory of the Lord the excellency of our God strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees 
And those who are fearful hearted and be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with a recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall stop talk. For water shall burst forth of the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of jackals, where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but shall be for for others, whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray or err therein. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall be not found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. He's talking about a return from exile here. Redemption in the mind of a first century Jew was always the return from exile. A departure from Egypt, a departure from Babylon, a departure from whatever they were exiled in. I'm telling you, a greater than Moses was now on the scene. The deliverer had come to Zion, and he'd come to release streams in the desert and a flow out of a slain lamb that came from the blood that had troubled the water. He came to release these folks who had been in captivity. And, and pictured within this man who was born or had been here for 38 years waiting on the troubling of the water is a picture of natural Israel and their wilderness wandering. And he's saying to them, do you want to be made whole? I would say to you as I come to the end of this segment, if you've been under religious bondage, do you want to be made whole? The crippledness, the blindness, the lameness, all that has kept us troubled. Do you want to be made whole? Not just do you want to get healed, but do you want to be made whole? If so, Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. I believe in carrying the bed is significant of picking up the fact that you have that bed of rest and reproduction right there to remind you that you are no longer crippled. He whom the Son makes free is free indeed. Let's come to this pool of Bethesda. Let's walk through the sheep gate. Let's enter in through that door because everything else is a thief and a robber. I trust this segment's blessed you. We're about to come to the end, and I want to just thank you for joining us. Let me just encourage you for a moment also as I come to the end of this that we do need your help in keeping this program on the air. Uh, we, because of the uh, lack of finance, we have had to drop one of the networks we are on. So if you're seeing it on this network, we have remained on this network. But the price has went up significantly on this network, and we need your help to be able to maintain this. So we need your partnership, not just watching us, but we need you to sow into it. We have uh, sowed for many years. You can give to us by simply going to that website. There's a place we can give via credit card or debit card, and you can sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. You can send a check or money order to the number that will come up on the actual address on the screen, or you can call the number that will come on the screen, and someone will take your call. If no one is available, leave a message, and we'll call you back. Thank you for doing that. God bless. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.